The Onyx One Month DAP program evaluated Resolute Onyx DES in about 1,700 complex high bleed and risk patients with one month DAP. Visit Medtronic.com backslash Onyx One program to see the data. Resolute Onyx DES is not currently indicated for high bleed and risk patients on one month DAP in the United States. You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the April 2021 edition of Heart Sounds. This is the podcast where I recap some of the top news in cardiology for the past month as published on tctmd.com and we had plenty I could be telling you about. We did several stories on the rapid publication of studies documenting the rare thrombosis and thrombocytopenia seen with the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. This rare clotting reaction has since also been seen, again, very rarely with the J&J vaccine and is now known as VIPIT. TCTMD's Yael Maxwell wrote a fascinating feature story detailing how artificial intelligence is currently being used in cardiology and where it's headed. In a second long read, Yael also delved into the innovation taking place around virtual training, since most of the in-person proctoring and observerships for learning new procedures have been put on hold during COVID. Lastly, I would highlight the new VARC-3 definitions for aortic valve research, published by the Valve Academic Research Consortium, that took some heat on social media, mostly from the surgical community, questioning the makeup of the writing committee and the changes proposed. Find all that great content and more on tctmd.com. For the podcast today, however, I'm doing what I hope will become a semi-regular interlude on the podcast particularly as the COVID-19 pandemic stretches into its second year and one day looks a heck of a lot like the one before, I am drawn to stories of people, and in this case, people in cardiology, who made the choice to do something radically different with their lives. Many, I think, are doing so as a result of COVID-19. They've lost loved ones, they've lost jobs, or as is the case for many medical professionals, the pandemic has pushed them over the limit and they have plans to move on to something new when things ease up. The stories I'm thinking of are of those folks who reach the point where not doing the one thing they are drawn to becomes harder than not trying. On the Heart Sounds podcast this month, I called up Yap Hamburger, who worked for 35 years as a cardiologist before making the leap several years ago now to pursue his other passion, music. The 18th of April, 2021, marked the worldwide premiere of his Concerto for Harp, featuring world-renowned harpist Lavinia Meyer. The work was commissioned by the government of the Netherlands on the occasion of the 75th anniversary of the United Nations International Court of Justice in The Hague. Here's my conversation with Dr. Hamburger. I'd love to start just with having you tell the Heart Sounds audience a little bit about yourself, where you were born, where did you study medicine, where did you study music, and how did you choose between the two? So I was born in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and uh, I should say I started my music career at the age of three when my parents discovered I was... uh, studying music before I could read. So actually I learned to read score before I learned ABC. I, I could read music score before I could you know, read language. And so that, that started at the age of three and the, my parents, of course, got me a teacher one day. So I was, I was you know, a bit of a funny kid with, you know, focused on music at such a young age. 
And that teacher was also a piano teacher. So very naturally, I went from studying theory and learning how to read score to learning how to play the piano with her. And fast forward at the, like at the end of high school or after high school, I applied for a position at the, uh, the National Academy in, in Amsterdam to become a concert pianist and um, highly competitive. I was blessed. I got accepted. And my mother told me, uh, that's fine. You can play as much piano as you want, but you will also go to medical school, become a doctor because you never know, right? Playing it safe. She was, she was worried about your livelihood. You had to make sure of you course. had both. Hmm. Of course. So she said that the broader you can develop yourself, the better it is, the safer you are. Um, I was not a poor student in, in high school either. So she said, you know, take the challenge and do both. So that's what I did. I applied for medical school the same year that I was accepted into the academy. And I had a, so a dual training at, at the academy as a concert pianist in, in med school. And I finished both within approximately one year. Uh, that I graduated with a soloist degree and I finished med school. And then I was, I, I, this story is a story about being blessed all the way through. I was like always at the right time, at the right place, surrounded by the right people who continuously have blessed me throughout my life and allowed me to do things that uh, even looking back, I could not have dreamt of. Okay. Did you enjoy medical school? I mean, did you, did you have the same degree of enjoyment from both programs or was, was medicine a hassle? No, it, it, I, I enjoyed thoroughly because um, being a concert pianist is an extremely lonely existence. So if you're fully focused on being a performing artist, you will easily work 10, 12 hours a day perfecting your ability on an instrument, uh, according to the business, predominantly studying works that were written 100 years, 200 years, 300 years ago, right? And uh, the only communication you actually have with other human beings is through an instrument. So with the piano, that's like your communication is 90 degrees to the right with an audience through your instrument. It's a very lonely existence. And um, that actually never made me really happy. And, and being in med school at the same time was all about human communication in that sense. The, um, the study was not much of a burden. Um, when I was young and my brain was still active, I had a photographic memory. So studying for exams was sort of, <clears throat> was was not challenging. I, I would read a textbook once and I would fully memorize it. Uh, um, so actually, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that combination of being full-time in the arts and full-time in something totally different, right? In, in, in science and human communication. So and why, I, why, cardi uh, why cardiology? What, what, what directed you in the direction of the heart? So I, I finished med school um, in, in my last year of training, I um, volunteered for three different departments to, you know, like in, in, usually in the summer holiday, everybody goes backpacking. And instead of going backpacking, I volunteered to do, to work for free, first in internal medicine, then in uh, respirology. 
and the third rotation, uh, the extra rotation I did was in cardiology. And um, again, lucky me, I was invited to stay on and train um, in all three. And um, I chose cardiology because maybe that's, that's hard to give. It's a matter of taste. It's a matter of some people like fish, other people like steak, etc. So comparing internal medicine and respirology and cardiology, um, probably the reason why I chose cardiology training was very much at the start or at that time when I had to make that choice, I became aware of interventional cardiology. And for me, interventional cardiology was a perfect crossover between um, the science of internal medicine and the practical applicability of surgery. It's a sort of a perfect marriage between internal medicine and surgery. I love the practicality of surgery. I, I love the braininess of internal medicine and interventional cardiology is sort of a perfect marriage between the two. And th that's how I saw it at that time. And that's actually how I still think about it today. So that was the reason to go into cardiology. I wondered how much it was also, in terms of the subspecialty in medicine, how much it was important for you to be using your hands. You know, musicians depend on their hands. Was it important to do something tactile, or is that just a coincidence? I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting perspective. I don't know. Of course, interventional cardiology, especially the initial large research project that I embarked upon entering interventional cardiology, um, was in the field of uh, laser, uh, Exheimer laser for, for angioplasty. Right. And more specifically to develop technologies and techniques for treating chronic total occlusion using laser. And, and that indeed was a very subtle, finicky, you know, miniature Delicate, tactile, yeah. tactile field of, of interventional cardiology. So yeah, maybe yes. Okay. I do want to get to, to the events of this month, but tell me just briefly, how long did you work in cardiology and did you set music aside? Was it always a part of what you did? I'm, I'm just can't imagine having a full career and juggling both. So what sort of sacrifices did you make and when did you decide to make a choice? Again, a new choice. Actually, what happened when I, uh, so after finishing the, uh, the academy, as a, I, I had a, a bit of a career as a performing artist, as a classical pianist. When I went into interventional cardiology, I chose to discontinue that um, for two reasons. First of all, you cannot afford to sit 10, 10 hours a day at the piano when you're in interventional cardiology. That just doesn't fly. And also the issue of, of uh, privacy. It's uncomfortable to, to sit, to, to, to do, you know, uh, angioplasty in the morning and then to be on stage in the evening with your patients in the audience. So it's not comfortable. I chose to transfer from uh, being a performing artist to embarking on composing, which I could do privately at night. And so I, I never discontinued one or the other. It was always a juggling of two careers where I would, you know, be in the hospital and, and work in the hospital all of the day and some of the evening, come home, have dinner with my kids, help them with homework, put them in bed, etc. And then when it gets dark and quiet, I would go into my studio and, and compose, which initially was purely for myself. It was, was no, you know, no professional or, or 
commercial reason to do that. I was just me expressing myself in the in the late evening, right, in the, in the late night hours. Um, so I, I was in cardiology, uh, like my training was in the late 80s, early 90s. My interventional cardiology career started with uh, Professor Serhuis at the Thorax Center in Rotterdam, one of the giants of of interventional cardiology, which was mostly throughout the 90s. Um, uh, he mentored me in everything, uh, took me all over the world. Um, uh, as a result of which I met the, the other giant in interventional cardiology, is you know, Marty Leon. And through Marty Leon, I met uh, Gary Mintz. And um, in those years, again, it's, it's purely being blessed. I traveled the whole world. I've seen everything. I've done angioplasty in all the continents except for the South Pole. Um, through that, I got invited by my colleagues in, uh, at UBC in Hoover. In, in the late 90s, they invited me to join their group, which I did in um, the summer of 2000. Spent 10 years, uh, so that was the second decade of interventional cardiology um, with them in, in Vancouver. My mother told me to do two careers. My father told me to, he taught me to uh, sort of once every 10 years, reinvent yourself in order to stay awake. And, and he was super awake until he died close to, his, you know, close to being 90. So around 2010 through 2012, I had an opportunity to reinvent my career and focus more on, on clinical cardiology, which allowed me to meet people from a completely non-technical, different perspective, which I very much appreciated as well. And then, let's say four or five years ago, my mother comes back into the, into the story. She's now in her 90s. I've been in cardiology for 35 some years. And she flies into Vancouver and she sits me down for dinner and she says, enough is enough. <laughs> I say, what? And she says, well, you've been juggling two careers forever. It's time that you go back to focusing on where you started ah. and uh, close your practice and focus on, on music. And I, I must admit, I asked her why, why you're telling me only now, right? Yeah, exactly. But, and she put me again at that stage on a different track. And in 2018, I closed my practice with a feeling of, of, jumping off a cliff. A lot of my friends and colleagues thinking like, you, you must be loopy because you, know, you have this career at the age that most guys might think of picking up golf as a hobby next to their practice. I closed my practice and jumped off the cliff saying, I'm a composer now. Okay. And again, lucky me, um, things went very quickly. The moment I started to share my work with colleagues in the music business, uh, within no time, I got a, uh, an appointment as composer in residence on the other coast. Right? I'm, I'm in Montreal now, mm -hmm. East Coast, and uh, was signed by a Canadian label for classical music. And people started recording my music and I, I started getting commissions. That's so, an amazing story. And I did want to jump to this month because this uh, April marks the premiere of your Concerto for Harp and Orchestra. And it was the United Nations and the Dutch State Department that commissioned this. So for people that haven't followed your career so closely, can you just tell us a little bit about this concerto and, and how on earth you have a premiere during a pandemic? It's about a year ago that 
a world-renowned harp player, uh, Lavinia Meyer, she was, she was discovered by Philip Glass, you know, like the, the great Philip Glass in New York. He, he discovered her and he launched her into stratosphere uh, promoting her. So she was invited to organize a gala concert for the 75th anniversary of the International Court of Justice, the UN Court of Justice in The Hague. Uh, and this is just pre-COVID. And so the initial idea was to have a gala concert for representatives of the United Nations, the president of the court, uh, uh, heads of, of, of state, of country, you know, international gala concert, etc. And And so she accepted the honor of being the star of that concert, but she said on the condition that you commission a composer to write a new work for me, so I don't have to play old stuff yet again. And so both the UN and the State Department, I said, sure, of course, you name the composer. And then she, she had just heard a recording of a piano concerto I had uh, written and, and recorded um, here in Montreal. And she called me and she said, you know, allow me to introduce myself. Of course, I already knew who she was. She's quite famous. And she very, you know, very kindly, very sweetly asked me if I'd be willing to, she said, I heard your piano concerto, can you do something like that for me too? And uh, of course I said, I'd be honored. Yeah. And so uh, then I got that commission from the UN and the Dutch State Department. And uh, of course, then COVID started and because of, and, and instead of a gala concert, it became a streamed event, like everything now is online. And because of the social distancing, it went from a large orchestra to a smaller ensemble. But it worked pretty well. And she, she did, she and the conductor and the musicians did an amazing job. I was like, unfortunately, I couldn't be there. It was like, it was terrible not to be yeah. there in person. Uh, so I had to watch it like everybody else through streaming. But it was a wonderful experience. They did a great job. I can't imagine what that would be like to be involved in something um, so extraordinary and then be have to be remote with it. And, and I've watched it. It's, it's a beautiful and, and haunting piece of music. For, for performing artists, for, for let's say for just about everybody in the world, COVID has had and continues to have a major impact in all sorts of ways. First of all, people get ill, people die. It's like you can't think of anything worse than that. But it has disrupted everything. If you think of, of how does it affect me as, as a composer, well, I would say not that much because composing I do in my studio and I do during the day or mostly during the night, etc. And, and that process is not negatively affected by what goes outside the house. But with social distancing and the city in, in lockdown and, and etc., there's not much distraction anyway. So if anything, it, it allowed me to focus even more on what it is I need to do. There's no distractions. You can't go out, you can't visit people, you can't have people visiting you. So uh, it has not had a negative effect on just the work aspect of it. The story in the music, if, if there's such a thing in music, I very much focused on the topic of what that concert was for. So the aspects of war and peace and the United Nations as an organization to resolve conflict in, in a peaceful manner. Mm -hmm. And the fact that society doesn't function without 
a system of law that works, like a, a moral ethical law that applies equally to everybody. Th those are maybe not necessarily topics that people think of in the first place when you talk about music, but, but these topics very much occupied my mind as I was writing this piece for Lavinia Meyer. As you say, the pandemic has affected people in so many ways. Some have been so consumed with their work, I'm sure they couldn't think of anything else. But I think for others, it's been a, a year of reflection to look at what they're doing with their lives. Do they feel that they're contributing in some way or that they're, they're pursuing their passion? And I do think for many, they will come out of this and do what you say you did every 10 years, which is decide perhaps to reevaluate and change. But for anyone who listens to this podcast and perhaps has an interest in an art form or some other type of hobby, what's your advice to them? Do they keep doing it on the side? You know, at what point in your life do you decide that you should make that break and pursue something different? Or do you draw from your day job and also do this, this thing that's part of your heart on the side? Well, I, I'd say all of that and more. The, the thing is, life is short. And I firmly believe that the, the universe is not an empty, dark place. I think that life does have a purpose. And I very much, throughout my li all my life, try to, to find that purpose and to give it my all. And there's enough time to sleep after you've passed on and you're dead and gone, right? Um, our time on Earth is limited, and I want to give it my all constantly in any way I can and in every opportunity I see and, and whatever is, is granted. I can think of two sentences. The one is, you know, life is like a narrow bridge. Do not be afraid. Just keep moving forward. And the other one is truly biblical, but very important to me. You, you might know the, the Old Testament has the five books of Moses and the, and the books of the prophets. And once a week in synagogue, we read a portion of it such that you, after one year, it's a, a yearly loop. After one year, you finished all those books, right? And then you start again. On the same day, you start all over again. And of course, we have a party and we eat. The last metaphor, the last page of that cycle is a story where, you know, we all know the prophet Moses and he has, he has died and he's buried. And... The gentleman who was his assistant, his, his second in command, was dead for 40 years and has never been a leader. And he's standing at Moses' gravesite and he's standing there with jittering knees because how am I going to carry this responsibility? And the answer, which is the final metaphor that ends it all before we start again, is you have to know the difference between right and wrong and have strength and courage. And Every decision I'm, I'm confronted with, which is basically on a daily basis, I think of that. You have to know the difference between right and wrong and stay the course and do to the best of your abilities, no matter what the circumstances are. And if, if you have that in your mind, then none of these decisions are difficult. You keep moving forward. Yeah, well, I certainly think uh, strength and courage is a good mantra for 2020, 2021. So um, it, it's been lovely to hear a little bit about what you're doing with yours. So thank you for telling us about it today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
You can find a link to the full harp concerto on Yap's website, yaphamburger.com blog. If you want to tell me about others in cardiology setting hearts aside to follow their heart, email me at swood at tctmd.com or find me on Twitter at ShellyWood2. Thanks for listening to Heart Sounds. This short clip was provided to the Heart Sounds podcast by Dr. Hamburger. It features Lavinia Meyer on the harp, accompanied by the Hague Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Vincent Decourt. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD, featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.